This is the Raising Freethinkers podcast. I'm Dale McGowan, editor and co-author of Parenting Beyond Belief and Raising Freethinkers, books for raising compassionate, curious kids without religion. Episode 15, The Devil Went Down to Georgia. When I moved with my family to Atlanta from Minneapolis, I was a little tightly wound at first. I wasn't sure what to expect. I was an atheist moving from the relatively progressive north to the conservative religious south. And I had just written a book about raising kids without religion, just released months before our move. It was profiled in Newsweek a week before the move. Good timing. I was nervous. I was not at all spoiling for a fight, but I also knew that push sometimes comes to shove. I just hoped it wouldn't happen while we were still fresh off the boat. I was the fish out of water in the Bible Belt, and, you know, when in Romans... At my son's middle school curriculum night in August, as I sat listening to the teacher as she explained her fascinating grading rubric, my trigger finger flinched just a bit. My eyes drifted around the room as she spoke, coming to rest at last on a sign taped in the upper left corner of the blackboard. Character builders it said, with a bunch of tiny cartoon construction workers crawling all over the big cartoon balloon letters. Running across the top of the board to the right of the sign were 12 more laminated signs, each with a character word in colorful cartoon letters, each of them crawling with adorable little animated hard hatters. Honesty was the first one, very nice, followed by loyalty, Ugh. Acceptance, perseverance, responsibility, courage, generosity, respect, confidence, kindness, compassion. Now, corner tacked to a strip of cork above the far right end of the board was a lone piece of paper dangling lazily over the twelfth and final character word, obscuring all but the first two letters. F. A. Uh-oh. The wafting breeze of the air conditioning vent was lifting at the corner of the paper ever so slightly, teasing me with the hope of the third letter. One gust, slightly stronger than the rest, finally lifted the paper enough to reveal that third letter. I. Oh, crap. This is one of the exact scenarios that Stu Tanquist described in Parenting Beyond Belief, an explicit endorsement in a public school of faith as a necessary component of character. 
In choosing his battles, that was one that Stu rightly chose to fight. Damn it, I thought. I don't want to. I really don't. I took a deep breath. And by the time I exhaled, I had decided. If Faith is listed in my son's classroom as a character builder, I have to address it. Somehow. Delicately, judiciously, I would have to address it. Suddenly, the parents around me rose from their seats and began filing out of the room. I let them file past me and then followed the last schlumpy dad toward the door. As I passed the dangling sheet of paper, I glanced furtively from side to side and then lifted it to see the word beneath. Fairness. Well, okay then. Our youngest was in kindergarten at the time, and about a week later, I went with her to the Dads and Donuts breakfast at her school. We finished eating and socializing in the gym, and then we walked to her kindergarten classroom. A couple of dads were already there, being toured by the hand around the classroom by their progeny. Laney grabbed my hand, and we joined the conga line. This is where all the books are, Laney said, and that's the whiteboard. And here's the globe, and the puppets, and this, she gestured proudly, is my desk. I barely heard the last two since I was still riveted to the whiteboard, which had on it, in huge letters, the words, This Week! Exclamation mark. And under those words, on the whiteboard, in my daughter's public school classroom, outlined, in every color of the rainbow was a cross. I flashed back to the near encounter with Faith at Connor's curriculum night. My nervous suspicions turned out to be unwarranted then. Maybe this would be the same. But this wasn't covered by a piece of paper. This one was in full view. If anybody was looking at me, they would surely have assumed that I'd suffered a small but effective stroke. I was completely frozen and trying to stay that way. Time stopped, looked at me funny, and then continued on its way. I knew that if I came to, I'd leap onto a chair and point and shriek like a vampire, Cross! Cross! A little girl entered my periphery, guiding her father by the hand. And this, she said, pointing to the cross, is what we're learning about this week. She paused for dramatic effect and then announced with pedantic precision, Lowercase t. So yeah, I was wound a little tight those first few weeks in the South. But I took note of the fact that here for the second time, my dark assumptions had turned out to be nothing. But things stayed interesting for a while as we transitioned in. And Delaney's kindergarten class was the source of yet another story. But before I talk about that, I have to talk about the open shelf policy in our home. 
Books are all over the place in our house, and one message that I wanted our kids to get is that books are not just classy wallpaper. They are invitations to walk around in somebody else's head. And I wanted to be sure that my kids knew that the invitation was open to them as well. So, one day, I was taking a book down from a shelf, and I saw Connor, who was about eight or nine years old, reading one of his own books nearby. And I said, hey, Con, come here a second. I gestured at the bookshelves and asked whose books they were. Yours and Mom's, he said. I told him they were actually for our whole family, and that if he was ever curious about any of them, he could take any book off any shelf any time and look at it. I showed him which books were really old, showed him how to open those carefully, supporting the spine, never flattening the pages, and for a couple of days he played along and then lost interest, which was fine. The idea that there was no prohibited knowledge in our house, that was the point. I told Erin the same thing when she was about eight, with the same result. And then when Lainey was about six, I had a hunch that it was her turn, so I told her the same thing. And sure enough, she leapt on it. I would come upstairs and find her in the recliner in my study with a book in her lap, leafing through the pages, sounding out words and looking for pictures. And once it was Edith Hamilton's mythology, and she was gawking at the snaky head of Medusa, dangling from the fist of Perseus. Awesome, she said. I once found her looking through a leather-bound Bible in German from the 1880s. But as often as not, I didn't know what she was reading. My study at the time was bisected by this freestanding bookcase, open on both sides, and when I was working at my desk, I couldn't see the recliner on the other side, though I could often hear her turning pages and saying, awesome, under her breath, or, most hilariously, reading whole sentences of Vonnegut aloud. But it's hard to prepare yourself for the really big moments when they come. And they always do. Dad, she said. Yeah, sweetie. What does humanist mean? Now, you'd think, given my work, that I would have sat myself down at some point and worked out a plan for that moment. But I hadn't. So I just answered her question. In retrospect, I even answered it correctly. I went with the broad definition. A humanist is somebody who thinks that people should all take care of each other. And whether or not there's a heaven or a God, we should spend our time making this life and this world better. Awesome, she said. Later that evening, after she'd been read to and sung to and tucked in and kissed, I went back to my study to close up for the night. Scattered on and around the recliner she'd been sitting in were the Humanist Anthology, Tristram Shandy, the Kids' Book of Questions, the World Almanac, the Arsonist's Guide to Writers' Homes in New England, the Simpsons and Philosophy, Cosmos, and Bullfinch's Mythology. I reloaded the shelves and went to bed. About a week later, during our after-school snack chat, Lainey informed me excitedly that there were nine different religions in her class. Nine? Wow! I said. How do you know there are nine? I was not surprised to hear of the diversity. 
there were lots of kids from Indian and Pakistani families in the class. Compared to the relative demographic mayonnaise that I had pictured North Atlanta to be, I've been thrilled with the diversity here. And there were nine religions? Yeah, she said, nine. She looked at the ceiling and began to rattle them off. Hindu, Muslim, Christian, Baptist, Jewish, Chains. Now, Chains is probably Jane, one of the most benign and respectable religious traditions on earth. She counted on her fingers. Anyway, I can't remember all of them. And she suddenly beamed. And I was the only humanist. I paused for a week or so. Now, here's the thing. I am opposed to labeling young children or even allowing them to label themselves with words that imply the informed selection of a complex worldview. Richard Dawkins hits it right on the head when he refers to a long-ago caption on a photo in The Guardian. The photo was of three children in a nativity play. He said, they are referred to as Mandeep, a Sikh child, Akifa, a Muslim child, and Sarah, a Christian child. And no one bats an eye. Just imagine if the caption had read, Mandeep, a monetarist, Akifa, a Keynesian, and Sarah, a Marxist. Ridiculous, yet not one bit less ridiculous than the other. I agree, as do, I think, most non-religious parents. Once a label is attached, thinking is necessarily colored and shaped by that label. I don't want my kids to have to think their way out from under a presumptive claim placed on them by one worldview or another, even my own. So prior to maybe age 12 or so, I didn't want to allow my children to be called atheists any more than I'd allow them to be called Christians, not even by themselves. So my first impulse, when Delaney called herself a humanist, was to give the usual cautionary speech. Now, be careful not to stop thinking. There are still too many questions to ask, too much that you don't know. Someday you'll be able to make up your own mind on this, but it's not time yet. But I looked at Laney, still beaming proudly through a mouthful of Nilla wafers. At the time she had learned the meaning of humanist from me, I didn't know that she had said to herself, Oh, I like that. That's me. She was obviously delighted to have had something to say when all the other kids were claiming their tribal identities, and clearly had no idea of the dark chain reactions that can be set off in the fundamentalist mind by the word humanist. So, what did Mr. Monroe say? I asked. He said that was cool, and I'm sure he did. He was a great guy. No evidence of dark chain reactions in him. And he asked what a humanist believes, she continued. Oh, what'd you say? I said a humanist believes the most important thing is to take care of each other and the world. She told me that several of the kids suddenly stuck their hands up in the air and said, I'm a humanist too. I can just imagine a lot of really fun dinner table conversations around the neighborhood that night. Now, if she had called herself a secular humanist, I would have said something. But what is there about believing the most important thing is to take care of each other in the world that requires more time and thought and study? 
is she impeding her thought process by declaring this? Or is it a value, like honesty and empathy, upon which she can build her search for an identity? There are, after all, both religious humanists and secular humanists. Erasmus and Paine, two great heroes of mine, were among the former. Humanism had no connection to atheism for her. The definition I gave her even included the option of believing in a god and being a humanist. By calling herself a humanist in the broadest terms, she hadn't bought into complex metaphysics. She'd just embraced the concept that even a six-year-old can sign on to. And in the process, she introduced her classmates and her teacher to a new idea and associated it with her smiling, eager, proud little face. Lainey had taken my armchair abstractions and turned them inside out, making me realize that not all worldview labels are ridiculous or harmful for kids. Some can even serve as catalysts for the next stage in the child's process of finding her place in the world. And the next, and the next. The Raising Freethinkers podcast is a production of Only Sky Media, exploring the whole human experience from the secular perspective. Visit us online at onlysky.media. Thanks for listening. I'm Dale McGowan. See you next time for Raising Freethinkers. <laughs>